This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy Woo! and sadness oh. and anger. Ah. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. Ah. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. Ah. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 360, and today we are talking about books being released on May 3rd, 2022, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Danica Ellis, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Danica, hello! Hello! How's it going? Good. If you hear a rattling sound in the background, it's because five minutes before recording, our smoke alarm went off. It's like linked to the downstairs neighbors. So it went off. The dogs are terrified of it. Oh, no. So now Debbie is being soothed by licking an empty peanut butter jar <laughs> in the other room. Uh, same. <laughs> No. If you hear a rattling sound in the background of mine, it's just because my brain has come loose from its stem. <laughs> it's one of those days. It's fair. <laughs> oh, so let's see. What's going on in the world? Uh, we have some new birds in our backyard, which is very Ooh. exciting for me. I love watching birds, and we seem to have, like, the same ten kinds of birds, which is great because they're beautiful. But recently, in the past week, we've had a dark-eyed junco which is like this dark brown bird that has like a Lone Ranger mask. And this other bird that is amazing, it's called a white-throated sparrow. And it has a white throat, but it also has this amazing bright yellow eyeshadow, which honestly is the more interesting part of its characteristic, but probably like a longer name to say than white-throated sparrow. It would be like yellow eyeshadowed sparrow, you know, <laughs> boy George sparrow. That's nice. all I can think of when I see it is like boy George wears like bright yellow eyeshadow. It's so amazing. And I'm just like, look at it. And my husband's like, after like the first like five times, he's like, yep. I've seen them. <laughs> but for me, every time I'm like, ah, bird, take 800 pictures through the screen. They don't come out. It's fine. I'm like, but I knew that that's what that was when it happened. So do you have birds like around you where you are? Do you um, live in a neighborhood with birds? Yeah. Yeah. But it's usually I am. I know nothing about birds, so I don't know the names of any of them. But we do get a few herons when I was. uh Ooh. When I set up my office in the kitchen, I've moved it to my room now, but when I was in the kitchen, I had like a heron that would come visit our backyard in the morning every day, which was very cool to see. Oh my goodness. That's, yeah. yes, that's very big. Mm-hmm. That's a big bird. <laughs> like when they're flying, they always look like they're about to fall out of the air and are just barely keeping themselves up. <laughs> that's a good way to think of it. Yeah, they do. We have, like, I can never tell the difference between, like, cranes and herons. I know that, like, past the woods near in our neighborhood, like, you see them take off. There's, like, a pond and, like, you see them. But I don't. They're not close enough for me to, like, obsessively check through my book and figure right. out what they are. So we did have a really cool red-tailed hawk the other day that was just, like, hanging mm -hmm. out on our fence. I was like, why are there no birds today? And then I looked outside <laughs> and he's like, so I'm like, oh, that's why. <laughs> 
They're like, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. We'll catch you later. <laughs> they all hung out their little gone fishing signs. You know, they were just like, <laughs> back in a while. So what else is happening? I don't know. The Celtics. I'm very excited. I know I'm here to talk about books, but I do love talking about the Celtics. Although not on the internet, because I go on the internet to be like excited about my team winning and people are just so mean. (laughs) You know, like I'm like, I don't want to wade into that. But Celtics swept the first round. That's very exciting. So I've I've had a pretty good week. Nice. Um, I've read some amazing books. There's more amazing books coming out. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I have anything else exciting to report. You know, sleep, read, repeat, basically <laughs> is you know, what I do. So before we get started today, though, we have something that we want to tell listeners. Oh, that's something I want to say to listeners. First of all, emails, beget emails, beget emails. We got more emails with pet pictures. And it's so exciting. And, you know, it's it's fun to hear that some of you also think that Thomas Edison is shady AF. And I just love getting emails. Um, so thank you for those. And also, we want to let you know that it is time for our Every Few Years Listener Survey. If you could take a few minutes, please, please, please come and tell us about what kind of podcast content you would like and what you'd like more or less of from us. You can go to bookriot.com slash listener survey to fill out the survey and you'll be entered to win a $50 gift card to the indie bookstore of your choice. That's bookriot.com slash listener survey. Obviously, I'm going to fill it out and say, you know, I want more cats and more books. <laughs> oh, more books. books. Oh my goodness. Yesterday, so I'm getting ready for my vacation. If I can call it a vacation, basically what it is is that I, I move the work for one week to either side of that week, <laughs> yeah. you know, so I have like double work on both ends, but I'm going to take a few days off to just read. And yesterday I took like two hours to pick out the books that I want to read for my vacation, which were way more than I could possibly conceivably <laughs> read, even for me, like during my vacation. But it was fun to just be like, yeah, be this one and this one and this one and then maybe I'll whittle it down. I did the same thing for the readathon that's in a, a few days, the Dewey's 24 hour readathon. I yeah. checked out so many books, way, way more than I'm going to be able to read in a day. But it's so exciting to have so many to pick from. It is. All right. So before we get started today, we are going to hear from our first sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Underlined, publishers of The Night in Question by Kathleen Glasgow and Liz Lawson. If you know me, you know I'm a huge Agatha Christie fan. I've been reading her since I was an actual child and reread her at least a few times every year. So I'm so excited that this sequel is out because it's reminding me about the original that I've been meaning to read for quite some time. And now I can read both back to back. So how do you solve a murder? You follow the lessons of the master, of course, Agatha Christie. Iris and Alice find themselves in the middle of another Castle Cove mystery in this sequel to the New York Times bestseller, The Agathas. This time, to understand the lies of the present, the Agathas will need to look to the mysteries of the past. The Night in Question is available now wherever books and audiobooks are sold. That audiobook I have my eye on, and it's narrated by Mare Dudeja, Sophie Amos, and Holly Linneman. Thank you once again to Underlined and The Night in Question by Kathleen Glasgow and Liz Lawson for sponsoring today's show. Today's episode is brought to you by Random House, Publishers of Wild Ground by Emily Usher. A story of first love that will break your heart. Wild Ground is a bittersweet novel that follows two teenagers whose all-consuming relationship is tested by the forces of class, prejudice, and addiction in a small English town. From the beginning, it has always been Neef and her beautiful, troubled mother, Chrissy. When they move to a small town to follow Chrissy's older boyfriend, it's a chance to start over. 
And on the first day in their new home, she meets Danny and the two form a friendship that gives way to the slow burn of romance as they grow up, desperate to escape the confines of their world and the forces that hold their families hostage, like substance abuse, poverty, and racism. Now, this is perfect for fans of things like normal people, euphoria, and sex education. It centers working class women in small town England. It's steeped in the dialect and lyricism of Northern England. So make sure to check out Wild Ground by Emily Usher. And thanks again to Random House, publishers of Wild Ground by Emily Usher for sponsoring this episode. All right. So... My first pick is one of the most eagerly anticipated books of the year. It is Book of Night by Holly Black. (sighs) Holly Black has written over 30 books. 30 books, which is just bananas. Uh, But this is her first book for adults. It is a dark fantasy novel, and it's so much fun. It's about a young woman named Charlie Hall. And in this world, magic is real. And Charlie Hall kind of grew up with a bad influence and she started uh, thieving. She started stealing things for glomists who are these kind of magicians who work in the shadows and work with shadows and they can manipulate shadows. And so when she was a teenager, she started committing petty crimes and then they kind of grew and grew. And then she became like this expert thief where she could like break into homes and she would steal these grimoires, which are um, like spell books uh, for these other magicians. But like after a while she realized like this isn't the way to go and things are kind of scary. And so she decided to quit. However, she took it. She took, you know, what she calls a straight job as a bartender, but she's working right above a glomist and basically for like right next to the people who she used to steal things for her. So, I mean, the temptation is still right there. And she's not making great money as a bartender. But, you know, she has a boyfriend now. She has a steady job. She's trying to get money because her she has a younger sister, Posey, who she wants to, like, just go on the straight and narrow path. Whereas, like, Posey is desperate. Like, she wants to have, like, these shadow abilities. Like, not everybody has them. But some people can have these shadows that they can manipulate and get to do things and... Posey, her sister, is, like, obsessed with making her shadow do something. And, like, it's this thing with, like, social media influencers who can buy these fancy shadows that, like, you know, they can take on and off at at whim. You know, like, they go on Instagram and they're like, oh, my shadow has a crown now or my shadow can do this trick and my shadow, you know, because they can buy this. But the other side of that is that people's shadows can now be stolen and and so crime, you know, is is up and, and people are being injured and losing their shadows. And it's believed that if your shadow is taken, it also takes your soul, which is the case for Charlie's boyfriend. She started dating a man who has no shadow and she thinks he's great. But like there's, you know, people who think because he has no shadow, there's something wrong with him and like will cross the street to like get away from him when they see him coming. So Charlie's working this bartending job. And then one night she's leaving the bar And she sees something horrible and something frightening. Uh, She's she's walking down the street and she comes across this body and she does not know, like, they're dead. They're so obviously dead, like, turned inside out, like, Willow-style dead. And she sees a man who has shadows for hands, which she's never seen before, which is also cheating at shadow puppets. But anyway, so she's like, oh my goodness, something weird is going on. And then she's contacted by this person from her past and she gets drawn into this 
case of like what is happening with this body and and she's sort of blackmailed into doing this one last job sort of thing and it's so fun it's a book about magic but it's also a really important look at trauma people who have shadows that can do things are often their shadows are influenced by trauma um and so like how people react to trauma and what happens to them you know affects how their shadows behave it's also, you know, about society and privilege. Like I said, you know, there are the rich people who can buy shadows and, you know, these influencers on social media who change their shadows and people who are envious of that, like her, her little sister and, you know, and the crime of stealing shadows and, and also just crime in general because magic is, is taking over the, the world, basically. Like this takes place in East Hampton, Massachusetts, which is a real place. But as far as I know, it does not have a lot of magic, except Kelly Link has a bookstore there. So that's a little magical for sure. And, you know, the police don't know how to keep magic in check. Like, the government doesn't know how to keep magic in check. Like, how long can they keep people from using these powers from basically becoming supervillains and taking over the world, you know? It's really just fun and dark and scary. I got to interview Holly Black a few weeks ago about this book, and it was amazing. Uh, you know, she, she was so much fun to talk to. She also said something that I thought was really great. You know, I was asking her about, like, her writing process, and she said, I'm really bad at writing, but I'm really great at editing. You know, she said that she just basically, like, gets all the words down, like, word vomit onto the page as fast as she can, and then goes back, and she says she's really great at arranging it into a book, and I thought that was really cool. She also, uh, I asked her her favorite fairy tale, and she said it was the white cat, and then proceeded to, like, tell us the tale of the white cat, and I was like, am I really sitting here listening to Holly Black tell us a fairy tale? It was epic, just so much fun. And before I finish up with this one, I do want to point out that Kelly Barnhill, the author of The Girl Who Drank the Moon, and most recently The Ogress and the Orphans, also has her first adult fantasy novel coming out today. It is When Women Were Dragons, which I have not read yet, but is about uh, some incident in like the 1950s where a bunch of people or a bunch of women turned into dragons and flew away, which sounds awesome. Uh, so I'm very excited about that one as well. I can't wait to read it. I do want to give content warnings for Book of Night for violence, gore, murder, chemical use, and abuse. It is Book of Night by Holly Black. Okay, two things. One is that it sounds like the influencers are doing competitive shadow puppets. And then I was like, isn't that what social media is? So I'm <laughs> sitting with that for a minute. Zing! And, <laughs> and two, I had on Slack the other day, I was like, when women were dragons as queer characters, why did no one tell me? And then I was really mad about it. And about a minute after I realized it's on my list of upcoming sapphic releases, I just forgot it was there. <laughs> Hey, these things Just happen. Mad at everyone for no reason at all. <laughs> but speaking of sapphic new releases, my first pick is I Kiss Shara Wheeler by Casey McQuiston. And you probably know Casey McQuiston from their first book, Red, White, and Royal Blue, which is hugely popular in queer book circles, but somehow I have never read it. I did join the hype train unintended, on reading their FF romance novel, One Last Stop, which I loved. It's such a fun, quick, absorbing, and delightful read. So I came into this book, which is their YA debut, definitely with some expectations. So this follows Chloe Green, who has been academic rivals with Shara Wheeler since Chloe arrived in this Christian small town high school, which has a lot of suffocating rules and homophobic culture. 
But at prom, right as the fight for valedictorian is almost at a close, Shara kisses Chloe and then disappears. And Chloe soon realizes that Shara kissed two other students that night, her boyfriend, Smith, and the broody boy next door, Rory, who has had a crush on her for a long time. And she's also left a series of clues for them on how to find her, which, if that sounds like the plot of a, like, 2000s, 2010s YA novel to you, Chloe agrees, because she says that Shara has cast herself in a John Green novel. And yes, this reminded me of John Green novels and that Maureen Johnson book with the little blue envelopes. Is it just called Little Blue Envelopes? Anyway, it has that kind of premise. And Chloe resents Shara. She is the golden girl of Willow Grove Christian Academy. She is pretty and blonde and has a quarterback boyfriend. She gets straight A's. She lights up every room she walks into. She's the principal's daughter. She can do no wrong. And Chloe feels like the opposite, like an outcast. The only thing they have in common is their GPA. Chloe is out as bisexual in a school where no one else is out as queer. In fact, one of her moms was the first person to come out at Willow Grove when she went there, and it hasn't seemed to have changed much since. Chloe hates this town, the school, and the classmates of hers that seem to thrive there. Her friends are the other rejects, closeted queer kids and theater nerds. She is not going to let Shara disappear so easily, not when she is so close to showing her up. She wants to prove to everyone that she is better than Shara, better than the golden girl of the school. So she wrangles together Rory and Smith to help find her. And Rory and Smith were once best friends, but now they can barely speak to each other, especially now that Shara has kissed both of them. And each chapter counts down how many days since Shara left and how many days until graduation, which gives it the chase, the tension of a clock ticking down. And also, who can resist a scavenger hunt? Definitely not Chloe, who becomes obsessed with these letters and clues, and how they reveal that Shara wasn't the angel everyone thought she was, just as she always suspected. And Chloe is also very impressed with herself for cracking this code and proving herself smart enough to find Shara. But she is so obsessed that she stops paying attention to her friends, who she hasn't told about these clues, and even neglects her schoolwork. When discussing sapphic characters online, there's this really common set of labels of disaster bisexuals and useless lesbians, which are given with much love. But somehow both of these sapphic main characters manage to be simultaneously useless and disasters. Shara and Chloe are obsessed with each other, and that's pretty easy to see right from the beginning of the book. And anyone reading this will know, even if this wasn't a romance novel, that they're obviously in love with each other, but they're so wrapped up in their rivalry and the lies that they're telling themselves that they can't see it. But while Chloe and Shara seem to be in their own world, there's a whole other story unraveling outside of these two characters. This story has a lot to say about growing up queer in a Christian conservative small town. Chloe can't wait to escape, which is what her mom did before her, though she ended up coming back. But other people find value in this town and want to fight to make it better. Chloe also slowly starts to realize that her view of Willow Grove is limited, and it's not as straight and cis as she assumed, even if students aren't out. 
I was intrigued by the premise of this one with the scavenger hunt and mystery element. And then I thought that kind of started to drag in the middle, partly because I love a flawed main character, but both Chloe and Shara are sometimes insufferable with extreme tunnel vision. But then just at that point, the story changes gear and you kind of realize that that's not really the story at all. So the ending chunk pulled me back in with the emerging storylines from other characters. It was also fun to see Chloe and Shara bounce off of each other once they finally were in the same room together. They're both so stubborn and opinionated that their collision is intense, at least until they realize they might want the same thing after all. You probably don't need my recommendation to read this because it is Casey McQuiston, but you have it anyway. If you want a rivals to lovers, FF scavenger hunt, YA romance that gets steadily more queer as you go along, definitely pick this one up. And that's I Kiss Shara Wheeler by Casey McQuiston. All right. So my next pick I read last night. Like I was like, well, I have time to try and check out another book that's coming out next week. And oh my goodness, did I pick the right one? I'm so in love with this book. I I can't even begin to describe it. And also because there's so much about it, I can't tell you. It's Trust by Hernan Diaz. Now, if the name sounds familiar, that's because Diaz's last novel, In the Distance, which was amazing, was shortlisted for the Pulitzer Prize. Which, side note, I'm excited that they mention these now. Like, many years ago, they'd say, like, this novel won the Pulitzer Prize, and they wouldn't tell you, like who was considered or any of the runners up. And I know that when I first began working in books, there were a couple of instances, like I think maybe people talking on Twitter about other authors or like something, I'm getting all the details wrong, but like there were a couple of authors who were like, oh, my novel was shortlisted for the Pulitzer Prize this year. And no one could tell them differently because no one knew, you know, and it's been like a dozen years now, I think, since they started mentioning the shortlist. And I just love it because I think it's so exciting for the authors to be like, this was shortlisted for the Pulitzer, which is great. Anyway, getting back to the Hernan Diaz novel. So this is a story within a story, within a story, and I can't tell you too much about it. Uh, I started reading it last night without having read the description. I didn't know anything about it. And it starts off with this chapter called Bonds, and you're reading it, and it's about this tycoon named Benjamin Rask and his uh, wife, Helen, and it's mostly centered around, like, Wall Street in the 1920s, and then, of course, the, the crash of the stock market. And then it stops, and I was like... What? What's happening? And it turns out that this is actually a book that someone wrote in 1937 called Bonds, and it's a fictionalization of a real couple from the 1920s, and then we move on to a memoir in which the people that are portrayed are investigated and talked about, and... Like, I can't... I don't want to tell you too much about it, but it goes on from memoir to diary to unfinished manuscript, and it's so amazing. It's just amazing. First of all, I will say that after I finished the book this morning, I went on Google and I read all these things that people had to say about it. And everyone who who left a review on Goodreads did the same thing I did. We Googled Benjamin Rusk because he and his wife are drawn so beautifully and so realistically that I thought, these must be real people. And he's not. But, you know, they're not. But everyone else apparently had the same feeling because that's how amazing this writing is in this this story, this first part about excess in Wall Street. And it's just 
I all I can keep saying is it's so good, and I don't want to spoil anything else about it for you. But it's this gorgeous novel of privilege and obscene wealth and society, family. You know the relationships that the characters have in in this book are incredible, and I found like very almost contemporary, you know, like just very straightforward and like, yeah, we're married, but we don't really like each other and we don't spend any time together. And, you know, it, it, the way that they handled that, a lot of the characters in the book, and I'm not talking about like Benjamin and Helen, but like other family members. And it's about mistakes and accountability. Then in the start of this book, you know, this character, Benjamin, and, and he is like the only person who comes out of the stock market crash unscathed. And so people, you know, start chasing after him with their pitchforks because obviously he must have had something to do with it if he didn't lose all his money. It's so good. Also, I love a book that has a title with many meanings. I love that. You know, like people have to put trust in one another. Benjamin creates trusts. You have to trust that the book is doing, you know, knows what it's doing. Like when you're reading it, um, you know, I love metafiction and it's just remarkable. That's, that's, I guess that's all I can keep saying. It doesn't move at a very fast pace, which is okay. This is one of those books that is definitely going to win awards at the end of the year. Uh, I do want to give content warnings for classism and mental illness. Speaking of Goodreads, uh, I saw someone ask, like, what age is this appropriate for? And someone said, you know, there's not a lot of content in it that would make it inappropriate for any age, but younger readers are probably not going to want to be interested in reading this. And I thought that was pretty funny. But it's, ju- it's just amazing. Have I said it's amazing? I love this book. I cannot believe I picked it at the last minute to read and scored so high. It's definitely, it's in the running for my favorite novel of the year. It is Trust by Hernan Diaz. And did I mention that it's amazing? I do love a metafiction book, so I'll have <sighs> to check that one out. <laughs> you know, sometimes I read a book and without reading the description, and it doesn't pay off, but this one mm-hmm. definitely did because I was like, First, I was like, the book just ended? What? Like, it's only like, you know, there's so much of it left. (laughs) It's just, it's so good. I love being tricked in a nice way, not in a mean way. Yeah, I've definitely had books that I picked up not reading the back. And then I was like, why is this a, you know, genre I didn't expect it to be? I'm like, oh, it's on the back. I just, yeah, that's on me. All right. My next pick is Burn Down, Rise Up by Vincent Tirado. This is a YA horror novel about a nightmare version of the Bronx, where people are infected with mold until it consumes them, where fires burn endlessly, and where giant centipedes roam the streets and eat anyone they can catch. It's bloody and it has some serious body horror, but it's also about the history of the Bronx, the racist policies that led to real-life horrors, and what it takes to try to rebuild when the fires still aren't completely out. So at the beginning of the book, people keep disappearing from the Bronx, and even the white teenagers who get a full police investigation aren't found. It's just background noise in Raquel's life until one day her mother goes into a coma. She came into contact with a patient who was covered in strange mold who then fled. Raquel's crush, Charlize, confides in her that she saw her cousin Cisco before he disappeared, and he was covered in that same mold. If he was the one who infected Raquel's mother, maybe finding him will be the key to helping her. Aaron is Raquel's best friend, who also has a crush on Charlie's, awkward, and he agrees to help. So the three of them are trying to research what happened to Cisco. 
Meanwhile, Raquel starts having disturbing visions and dreams, including one that leaves her with a burn on her skin. After going down some Reddit rabbit holes, they learn about the Echo Game, also known as the Subway Game. It involves going into the subway tunnels at exactly 3 a.m. and chanting, We are Echo Bound. It's said that if you break the rules, you'll never come back. And there are forums full of people's stories of this Echo Place, a nightmare version of their city. So the Echo Game sounds a lot like the sort of creepypasta horror stories that get passed around Reddit and other forums that have just enough specificity to have you kind of questioning whether or not maybe they could be real, especially when there are so many people talking about them. And between a school assignment and her Echo research, Raquel learns about the darkest time in the Bronx's history, the Bronx's burning, which is taken to the extreme in its Echo. She learns about the racist policies that led to low-income houses burning down constantly in the 70s, killing many residents. She identifies the villain at the center of the Bronx Echo as the Slumlord, capital S, who profited off the Bronx's unsafe living conditions. So Charlize, Aaron, and Raquel gear up to enter the Echo to find Cisco and bring him back, but despite their research, it is much more than what they were prepared for. To find Cisco, first they're going to have to find a way to survive at all. This is being marketed as Stranger Things meets Jordan Peele, which I think is a fair comparison. It definitely has social thriller elements and the weirdness of Stranger Things, but with a little more gore. If you want an anti-racist, sapphic YA social thriller and you can stomach some body horror, definitely give this one a try. I do want to give content warnings for gore, violence, racism, gun use, police brutality, discussion of cannibalism, and fire injuries and burns. And that is Burn Down, Rise Up by Vincent Tirada. All right. So those are the books that we have read that we wanted to talk about. And now we are going to talk about more of today's releases that we're excited about but haven't necessarily read, which is also exciting. Just talking about books in general always is exciting. Before we do that, we are going to hear from another sponsor. This episode is sponsored by LavenderCon and Little District Books. LavenderCon, which is just the best name for a book festival, is a new book festival in Washington, D.C. It's presented by Little District Books, which is Washington, D.C.'s all-queer bookstore, both of whom are dedicated to celebrating LGBTQIA plus authors and stories. The festival will feature over 80 authors, including Terry J. Benton Walker, the author of the Blood Debts duology, famed audiobook narrator Natalie Nottis with her debut romance novel called Gay the Prey Away, and Rashid Newson, author of My Government Means to Kill Me. And as I am looking at the website right now, breaking news, I saw a familiar face, and that is Book Riot senior contributor Susie Dumont. I'm so excited to see her name on this list, author of Queerly Beloved and Looking for a Sign. So you have so many great authors to discover at the festival. LavenderCon will feature 20 plus panels with topics for middle grade, young adult, and adult readers discussing romance, fantasy, horror, writing craft, and more. There will be a queer artist market, so you can go nab all of the great art and stickers and pins and handmade goods. The festival is happening June 29th and 30th in Washington, D.C., and you can either grab Saturday, Sunday, or two-day VIP tickets, which come with a few extra perks. Thank you once again to LavenderCon and Little District Books for sponsoring today's show. We hope you make your way over to the festival. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. 
So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone. But, you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done at she wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now, he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so good news. My next pick, I have also read, and I love it. It is the I do so many voices now. I don't know what's gotten into me. I'm just so happy and excited about all this extra free time that I have now that I'm reading, (laughs) you know, eight books a month instead of sixteen, and I just get wacky. I'm like a human muppet. Anyway, moving back to books, my next pick is The Change by Kirsten Miller, which. I heard her talk about it at an author event a few months ago, and I said, that sounds intriguing, and I got a copy and just flew through it, like, just sat down and was, like, did not stop until I reached the end. It was great. It's set in Long Island, and it's about these three women who are middle-aged, and basically, it's a look at how uh, women of middle age are sort of ignored by society. They're deemed, you know, unattractive now that, you know, they're no longer... Uh, you know, in their prime or they no longer have children and and they're going through menopause and nobody wants to talk about that. Like, that's something you still don't discuss in society. And, you know, their husbands are leaving them for younger women or, you know, they're having all these issues. And actually, what these women are going through out here in Long Island is coming into their powers. Like, this is sort of a speculative mystery novel in a way. And these women each have, like, these special talents that they have sort of claimed as their own and come into as they've gotten older. There's a woman named Nessa who uh, starts hearing voices. Uh, She's always kind of heard the voices of the dead, which is something that she inherited from her grandmother. But now that she is older, uh, she she can hear them more often. And she hears the voice of a young girl uh, calling to her. And she has made friends with this advertising director named Harriet, who is like, oh my goodness, Team Harriet all the way. Harriet is like like one of the most amazing characters I've read in a book in a long time. Harriet is like just fed up with everybody. She works in advertising. Her work is stolen by the men she works with all the time. She's overlooked for promotions. And she's had it. So she is going full on into her powers. Um, her house starts growing all these like amazing plants. Like she lives in this very rich neighborhood and her neighbors are like oh my goodness your house is a mess but everyone's afraid of her and they start calling her a witch and she doesn't want to wear clothes anymore and she takes young lovers and she's amazing and she has made friends with nessa as well as another former executive named joe who has just been fed up with the way that society tells women they should feel about their bodies and she starts a gym 
specifically for women, uh, where women can feel safe and empowered, and you know, she's taking care of her daughters, and she's friends with Harriet and Nessa, and Nessa says to them, you know, I, I heard the voice of this this young girl, and they go out, and they go into this, like, swamp area out off the island, and they find a body of a young girl who has been murdered, and they don't know who she is, and the cops are writing her off as, you know, a runaway and a drug addict, and no one is interested in finding out who this girl is, her identity is unknown. And they're like, how can the cops make these assumptions about her if they don't even know who she is? And so they decide that they are going to investigate it themselves and figure out what is going on. But it's so much more. There's so much more to this. You know, the each of the women in the story, whether they're women that you are rooting for or women that you, you know, are like are at odds with the main characters, they they get these like little chapters in between where they talk about, like, the the terrible things that have happened to them because there are women from, you know, being passed over for a job to sexual assault to sexual harassment to exploitation. And it's really hard to read sometimes. Like, it's like, whoo, but it's powerful and amazing. It's basically, like, sort of like the Witches of Eastwick for the 21st century. And it's also being compared to Big Little Lies, which I would... I would say is a fair comparison as far as like story and neighborhood and, you know, people worried about, you know, how they appear and secrets behind doors and stuff like that. Because this is a book about women and how women are treated, just there's a lot of content warnings. So I do want to give a heads up for violence and murder, racism, misogyny, sexism, sexual harassment, sexual assault of children and women, gaslighting, body shaming, disordered eating, chemical abuse, child endangerment, animal death, suicide, car accidents, and infidelity. Uh, This one is a great pick for your book club. There's a lot to unpack. And also, go Harriet. It is The Change by Kirsten Miller. All right, so my first picks for books that sound amazing but I haven't actually read yet, I want to talk about a couple of queer romance books that are out today. And the first one is Queerly Beloved, which is by book writer Susie Dumond. And even though Susie is an amazing book riot writer, I would be excited about this one anyway. So this is about Amy, who is living two lives in 2010s Oklahoma. In one, she is a closeted baker at a Christian bakery. And in another, she is an out and proud lesbian bartender at a gay bar. So she kind of switches between these part time jobs. She has a close knit group of queer friends, but she has to stay closeted some of the time to keep her job and stay safe. And then she's fired from her job at the Christian Bakery and finds herself falling into the career of being a professional bridesmaid. And as she tries to find her footing in this new job, she meets Charlie, who is a handsome butch engineer who just came to town. So everything seems to be falling into place, except that she is stressed out of her mind trying to please everyone in her life. This has an absolutely adorable cover, and it is being marketed as a romance, but the early reviews seem to suggest that this is much more about Amy's own journey to finding herself than it is about the romance. It also deals with homophobia and religious trauma, so be prepared for that going in. 
Amy is caught between her love of weddings and her burgeoning career in this field, while also acknowledging that at the time it wasn't even legal for her to marry her partner. And there are a lot of other complexities around the heteronormativity in the industry, even if same-sex marriage was legal. If you are looking for a novel with queer found family and learning how to escape being an extreme people pleaser with a little sapphic romance sprinkled in, this one looks like it will be a great pick. And that's Queerly Beloved by Susie DeMond. And then the second queer romance I wanted to talk about is Chef's Kiss by T.J. Alexander. And yes, this is a different book than the queer book named Chef's Kiss that I talked about in the March 1st episode of All the Books. Right? I was so confused when I saw the notes. I was like, okay, she already talked about Chef's Kiss, and then the date got moved, and I talked about it when the date got moved, and I was like, don't tell me that the date got moved again, you know, because people are clamoring for the pig who loves to eat at restaurants. It's just a permanent pig, just every month (laughs) chef's kids yeah so this is a different one and delightfully this is also the second foodie romance between a woman and non-binary person that i've seen come out this year i just read the first one which is love and other disasters by anita kelly which was a fun and steamy romance set on a reality cooking show and looks like this has some similarities but also diverges This one follows Simone, who is a serious pastry chef who has found her dream job working at a cookbook publisher. She loves developing and writing recipes until one day she hears the words all of us writers of online content fear, which is that we're pivoting to video. And now she's expected to be on camera, which she never agreed to. And worse, she's got an infuriatingly cheerful new kitchen manager named Ray, whose videos go viral, and then they're assigned to work together on a series. And just as she's starting to get used to this, and maybe even like Ray, Ray comes out as non-binary, and not everyone handles it well. So now Simone has to decide whether to side with Ray, who she's starting to fall for, even if it means endangering the job she's worked so hard to get. This looks to have the loving attention to food that makes you drool while reading it, so probably arm yourself with some snacks before you start flipping the pages. One of my favorite parts of reading romances is seeing the combination of tropes at play. For this one, it's, of course, a workplace romance, which means having to figure out how to put up with each other. And then there's the grumpy one, sunshine one dynamic. And I always enjoy when a woman fills the grumpy role. Ray is determined to get Simone to open up and let people in. Also, Ray's name is Ray for the sunshine character. This is very much a slow burn, so buckle in for a lot of mutual pining. If you, like me, watch the rise and fall of Bon Appetit videos intently, this should definitely be on your TBR. I do want to include trigger warnings for transphobia, misgendering, and dead naming, and that Chef's Kiss by TJ Alexander. All right, so I have a lot of things to say to you now. If I can remember them all. One, thank you for talking so much about those two books because uh, I have very little to say about my next picks. Um, Also, I have read Queerly Beloved by Susie and I loved it. Uh, You know, we don't normally endorse books by rioters, but it is worth a mention because it's amazing. And also, just before we started recording, Susie announced that she has a new book coming called Looking for a Sign, which is set in New Orleans and it's about a newly single queer woman who sets off on a mission to find her most compatible match by going on a date with someone of each astrological sign, which just sounds so fun. And congratulations to Susie. Yeah, that sounds so cute. 
And what else did I, did I have to tell you something else about that? Maybe not. Yeah, that was two things. I read it and it's not. Yeah, okay. I got, I'm good. All right. <laughs> and, uh, so moving on, uh, I want to just quickly mention two books that I am excited to read today. One being Circa by Debbie as Laskar. Uh, Laskar wrote a novel a few years ago called The Atlas of Reds and Blues, which ended up being one of my favorite novels of the year. I feel like it is criminally overlooked. It's just excellent. Uh, this one is about a teenager named Hira and her best friend, siblings Marie and Marco, who are kind of wild and waiting to get out of school and get out of their town. And then there's a devastating night that changes their lives. And then it's how Hira uh, encounters them as she gets older uh, and how their lives have changed. And I can't wait to read this one. I think I have a copy somewhere. Um, so I'm going to check that out soon. And also, I'm excited about Here Goes Nothing by Steve Toltz, uh, who wrote a book called A Fraction of the Whole many years ago, which is very John Irving and won the, I think, the Mark Twain Humor Prize, or maybe the James Thurber. I don't know. It won a humor prize, and it was really great. It was a long time ago. Um, and so I will tell you that for this book, I didn't read the description because my friend read it and said, don't read the description. So I did. I do what people tell me. You know, I did it. And so I just started reading it this morning after I finished Trust, which did I mention Trust is amazing. Uh, I started reading it, and so far it's about this couple uh, he's a criminal, and she's this, like, wild wedding officiant who gives, like, these speeches at the wedding, like, here's the bride and groom, and love is stupid, and, you know, this probably isn't gonna last, but, like, because your hormones are raging, or because you've bought into, you know, but, like, people think this is amazing, and they hire her to do this, and, you know, she's, like, an Instagram sensation. It's about them, and also this man who shows up at their house and says, I want to come in and die here because this is the house that I grew up in. And so I have no idea what's going to happen. I can already tell you I need to give you content warnings for illness and animal death. Wasn't ready for that. Um, but things are, are weird and I think they're going to get weirder. Uh, so I don't want to read the description until I finish it, but it's very funny. And that one is Here Goes Nothing by Steve Toltz. And the one I mentioned before that was Circa by Debbie S. Laskar, which I will probably read as soon as I finish the Steve Toltz. Steve Toltz! I put my arms in the air and say it like Arrested Development. You can't see me, but I am. Um, so anyway, <laughs> back to you, Danica. <laughs> I know, that's the only problem with talking books, about books we haven't read yet, is that you kind of run out of things to say a lot quicker. Yeah. So you're like, it looks good. Sure, it looks good. <laughs> yeah, but it's good to get them out there, you know, let people know that they're there, what we're excited yeah. about, you know, because a lot of people have, mm -hmm. you know, same tastes as me. A lot of people have the same taste as you. A lot of people, you know, so, like, it's good to put these on radars. And also just prop them up, because seriously, yeah. the Atlas of Reds and Blues is amazing, and I feel like it should have gotten so much more attention. So, all right, now I will I will stop talking. <laughs> just for a short amount of time, though. <laughs> Yeah, and it's given us a chance to talk about more books. I usually talk about two books in the spot where I would have talked about one. But I have one more book that I am excited to read, and that is another romance, and it's By the Book by Jasmine Guillory. So if you ask a bunch of bookworms their favorite Disney movie, Beauty and the Beast is going to be overrepresented. And it's not just that Belle is a reader. 
It's the scene of Belle gracefully sliding a rolling ladder across a bookstore, which I believe we all have a lifelong desire to recreate. And then, of course, there's the Beast Library with the physics-defying windows and spiral staircases and the obvious abundance of colorful books. So if I say that this is a bookish Beauty and the Beast romance retelling, I can almost hear a certain percentage of people already opening another window to order it or place a hold. But just in case, here's the whole pitch. Isabel was overjoyed to get a job in the publishing industry right out of school, but now she's 25 and still in the same underpaid and overworked editorial assistant job, and she is the only Black employee in the office. And if you pay attention to publishing news, that's going to sound eerily familiar, because... First of all, it is very white, and also a lot of people in editorial assistant or similar jobs in publishing have been speaking out about the poor pay and huge workload and lack of opportunities for advancement, and actually a lot of people are leaving the profession right now because of it. So it was really interesting to read the description of this book because it feels really timely right now. Isabel is not alone in her position. But then, of course, this is a romance novel, so it starts to diverge a little bit from reality, and that's where Isabel sees her shot to finding a way for advancement in this company. And that's because a big-name author is missing deadlines, and he is apparently beastly to work with. The company needs this title, but nothing seems to get through to this author. So Isabel demonstrates initiative by volunteering to go to his Santa Barbara mansion and give him some pep talks, because this is a romance novel and not a thesis on the publishing industry, so we'll take the leap. And when she gets there, she finds an exhausted and burned out Beau who is stuck on his memoir. They butt heads, but Isabel is determined to have him complete some pages. And as they work together, they discover they have a lot in common, including that they've both gone through similar losses. This is another slow burn romance that develops as they begin to open up to each other through working through Beau's memoir. There are also lots of Beauty and the Beast references hidden and adapted as Easter eggs throughout and they reference the Disney movie more than the original fairy tale. This is the second book in the Meant to Be series, which are modern romance retellings of classic fairy tales, but they each follow different characters, so you don't have to have read the first one to understand this story. We all know that readers find it hard to resist a book about books, and I am no exception to that, so I am excited to check out this romance set in the publishing world, especially because it critiques some of the problems in the industry. And that is By the Book by Jasmine Guillory. All right, so those are books that we've read and that we're excited about, and now it's time for the lightning round with some paperback releases coming out today. Starting with The World Gives Way by Marissa Levian. I talked about this book on the June 15th show last year, if you want to hear a full explanation of it, but I loved this book. It's set in the future, a a place where people have contracts that they can work off uh, in order to gain things, and a contract worker who is working for this very rich family uh, finds them dead and takes the child that they had and runs because she learns some really bad news about this uh, planet ship that they're living on. Uh, that catastrophe is coming, and so the hunt is on uh, as the police search for her, and she tries to figure out what she's going to do. I, I thought it was excellent. And out in paperback today, which 
it sounds amazing to say that it hasn't been in paperback yet, is The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas, which came out in February of 2017, if you can believe it. It is out in paperback now. It was, it's a YA novel about the police shooting of a young black man, was made into a film. Uh, and also out in paperback today is Concrete Rose, which is a sequel of sorts, but involves uh, the parents of of the children in The Hate You Give uh, back in the 70s, I think. Um, so those are both out now in paperback. Also out is The Codebreaker, Jennifer Doudna, Gene Editing, and The Future of the Human Race by Walter Isaacson, which is basically self-explanatory, what I just said. But Jennifer Doudna is this amazing... Uh, scientist who is working with DNA and trying to fight illnesses. And there's also a young adult version of The Codebreaker uh, that came out last week, if you're interested in sharing that with some younger readers or want to check it out for yourself. The Murder of Mr. Wickham by Claudia Gray is a paperback original. It's a literary mystery that starts with a house party involving many of Jane Austen's characters. I know there are so many of you who will read anything that in involves Jane Austen, so I imagine a lot of you are going to want to pick this one up. Once There Were Wolves by Charlotte McConaughey is about a woman and her twin sister who arrive in the highlands of Scotland to try and reintroduce wolves into the population. Uh, they have some secrets from their time in Alaska that they are hiding, and what and it's about what happens when they get there. Also, Somebody's Daughter by Ashley C. Ford, which I talked about on the June 1st show, is a powerful memoir about Ford growing up and not really knowing her father, who was incarcerated for most of her life. And one of my favorite books of last year, just favorite top five, uh, which I cannot believe is already in paperback and I feel was criminally overlooked, Damnation Spring by Ash Davidson, which I talked about on the August 3rd show, which is set in the logging industry in the Pacific Northwest in the 1970s and involves a family of loggers who are, the husband is trying to get out of the business so that his son doesn't have to do the work that he does, which is very dangerous. The wife uh, has had several miscarriages and wants to continue trying, and her husband doesn't want to anymore, so she's trying to figure out what she's going to do. Uh, and there's just all this stuff going on. It's it's so good. I honestly was very surprised. I thought that this would be, like, a National Book Award nominee. or And I, and I do think it's won, like, some Pacific Northwest prizes and some indie bookstore prizes, but I just loved this book. That one is Damnation Spring by Ash Davidson. So those are some paperbacks that you can pick up today. And so, books, 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 books. What are you going to read next? Yeah, I am partway through Spear by Nicola Griffith, which is a queer Arthurian retelling in a novella form, and I am really enjoying it so far. What are you reading next? You can never go wrong with Nicola Griffith. Like, when in doubt, just pick up Nicola Griffith. It's great. I am mm-hmm. uh, going to finish the Steve Toltz probably as soon as we stop recording. Uh, and then I think I'm going to pick up Making a Scene by Constance Wu, the actress from Fresh Off the Boat and Crazy Rich Asians. And I just think she's wonderful. So I'm going to check that one out. And that is it for today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome listeners. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink, who has a lot of work to do today. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I want to remind you, you can go to bookriot.com slash listener survey and give us your thoughts and possibly win a $50 gift certificate to the indie bookstore of your choice. You can also send your pet pictures to all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. Danica hangs out on Twitter at lesbrary. I hang out on Instagram at friends and comes alive. 
And you can go to Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a rating or review. And that helps other book lovers to find us. And we appreciate it more than we could ever say. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy happy reading. reading!